everyone, welcome back to another episode of Watch Once Never Again, the podcast where we watch disturbing movies so you don't have to. I'm Mary Beth. And I'm Dax. And we are still in our Lars von Trier train. Um, thank you everyone who sent me messages about the Antichrist episode. I appreciate all of you. You are all very kind. Both the people who agreed with me and told me why they liked the movie. And that was, I appreciated that a lot. I still don't like it at all, but I appreciate why you guys like it. So thanks for texting me. Or not texting me. <laughs> DMing me. <laughs> Can you, um, I didn't know anyone contacted you. So. Yeah, let me pull up a couple of them. So yeah, I got a couple DMs from friend, friends of the pod. Um, um, so Caitlin Nelson, who uh, I love. DM to me about it. Um, she listens to the podcast pretty consistently, and she's playing catch up. And she decided to skip ahead in her catch up to listen to the Antichrist episode, um, which was great. And <laughs> she was telling me, "I'm so happy you're doing Von Trier so I can hear how much you hate him or his movies." I had to skip my catch up because I needed to hear the Antichrist episode. And you're right. Although I didn't realize the T in Antichrist was what it was, I hated even more. And then goes to discuss, um, Caitlin writes a lot about, like, disability in horror. So she said a lot about, um, the child, like, disability stuff, about, like, forcibly disabling your child, um, which is very interesting. And how she thinks a lot about these movies. So I think that was just a very interesting, a very interesting message. And then where else... Um, May Murray responded to one of my to my tweet and was like, I love this. I could, like explained how she loved the movie because of which like, has a lot to do with witches. And there was a class that she was taking that was talking about this movie in relationship to like the witch trials. So that was interesting. And also she likes it when penis goes bye bye was another one of her messages. Um Wait, so, like the whole class was about this movie and witches? N- no, 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 no. It was just about um I was concerned. No, no, it was just a, a class where they talked about witches, and I think like she watched this movie or they talked about this movie in relation to what they were talking about in the class, um, which is interesting. Um, and interesting to see that they talked more about it being about um, the witch with the witch aspect. And then uh, one other person, I think it was Professor Ben Stark, on Twitter. Said he really likes it because of its depiction of depression. And I was like, I mean, great. I don't like its depiction of depression, but I'm glad that it resonated with you. Um, because it resonated with people. So, yeah, there is a lot of interesting responses. And it, it continues to be an incredibly polarizing movie. So That's what I said before. That That's what we it's were saying true. last week. Is like maybe someone saw something in it that I didn't see. And that's cool. Exactly. That's why I like movies. I'm glad that I'm, he found his audience for it, which is great. Um... And this week, we are talking about a movie that I uh, forgot how much I liked, which is very weird to go from Antichrist to this. Um, We're talking about his 2011 film, Melancholia. Yay. Wow. So this is Dax's first... Dax has never seen this before, so I'm very curious to hear your opinions on it. But I guess we should probably read the synopsis before we get into that. I guess so. (laughs) So before we started recording, we were like, this this seems like a short synopsis, because this movie is long as hell. Or at least feels like it. It's over two two hours. There's a lot. There's a lot of 
long meandering shots and slow motion. This is a, this is a Von Trier's slow motion era, I swear to God. But we can talk. <laughs> I would like to talk about that, actually. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, so this plot, of course, from my very best friend, Wikipedia. <laughs> it says... A dream sequence showcases slow motion shots of the main characters, a collapsing horse, falling birds, and images of the Earth colliding with a rogue planet. The dream... (laughs) A collapsing horse. (laughs) The dream belongs to Justine, who weds Michael in a castle owned by her brother-in-law, John, and her sister, Claire. Justine and Michael are late for the reception due to their stretch limousines difficulty traversing the narrow and winding rural road upon their arrival justine sees a star in the sky shining particularly brightly john an astronomy enthusiast explains it is the star antares Uh, the festivities are less than harmonious justine's divorced parents is it gabby are we saying yeah gabby it's spelled weird um gabby and dexter verbally abuse each other in front of the guests and justine to john and claire's annoyance um (laughs) wait what the fuck oh and justine (laughs) (laughs) why are these sentences always structured like this on this fucking website god damn it it's it's like like the same person always writes them with the same sentence structure and it's like i know i could fucking write it myself but like what the fuck like it's called syntax okay anyway um (laughs) fuck me i have to cut that out and i didn't mark the timestamp. um mm. The festivities are less than harmonious. Justine's divorced parents, Gabby and Dexter, verbally abuse each other in front of the guests, and Justine, to John and Claire's annoyance, keeps wandering away. Justine's employer, Jack, who announces her promotion to art director, expects her to write an advertising slogan for a new campaign during the celebration. Justine finds herself pushed into a role that others have chosen for her and falls back into depression, which, um, from which she has been suffering for a long time. Towards the end of the party, which goes on until the early hours of the morning, she quits her job in an argument and calls off her marriage to Michael, whom she cheated on at night with a young colleague who was enlisted by Jack to coax the slogan from her. (sighs) Much to discuss. (laughs) Much to ponder. (laughs) Early the following morning, while horseback riding with Claire, Justine notices Antares is no longer visible in the sky. According to John... The star is obscured by the rogue planet Melancholia. Just for the, the title most, of the movie. The, the title most of the movie. Subtle name for a planet of all time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I was like, all right, I guess that's fine. The, the hammer. Here it is. Just like Fucking hit me over the head because I had never seen this before. I did not know that a planet would be called Melancholia, and I was like, are you? fucking serious like are you fucking serious and the planet of course is going to collide with earth i was like you know what you know what for someone who like fancies themselves such a like a high-minded artist um that is that is not subtle at all no i digress (laughs) 
The planet appeared from behind the sun and has passed in front of Antares. John announces that according to the scientist calculations, Melancholia will pass Earth in close proximity without any contact. Claire looks anxiously at Melancholia's path on the internet, learning of a predicted collision with Earth. John tries to calm her down, but secretly secures food and gasoline. In view of the approaching planet, Claire increasingly loses her composure, while Justine longs for the end of the world and sunbathes naked in the glow of the planet at night. Same. Um, strange omens pile up in the days that follow. The electricity in the villa goes out, the servant no longer appears, the horses in the stable are restless, and the weather changes erratically. Melancholia initially flies past Earth, seemingly vindicating John. Melancholia then crosses Earth's orbit a second time, however, now moving directly towards Earth. Upon this discovery, John commits suicide by overdosing on pills. Claire hides his death from the family and attempts to flee with her son, Leo, but the cars will not start. Justine declines to spend her final moments with Claire on the terrace by candlelight and wine. Instead, Justine, calmly, uh, Justine calms Leo down by suggesting that they build a magic cave out of branches. Shortly after the collision, Justine, Claire, and Leo sit under the cave and hold hands. Melancholia collides with Earth, engulfing them and everything else in a sea of flames. The end. <laughs> yep. So as you can see, this is a very subtle film. Oh, yeah, exactly. There's a lot, a lot of messaging that's really hard to parse out here. <laughs> Just kidding. It's so obvious. It's about depression. So, okay. So this is your first time seeing it. So I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and feelings about this movie before we kind of go into anything else. I'm very curious. I mean, I really liked it. Um, okay, cool. I know that I keep, like, uh, like, just jabbing at it because I'm like, this is not subtle at all. But that's okay. I don't think every movie needs to be very subtle. Um, I just like to make fun of Lars von Trier whenever possible. Um, yes. As a fan, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> as a fan, I reserve the right to roast him mercilessly. <laughs> yeah. Um, especially because he, like, uh, this is this is the movie where he got himself banned from, from Cannes Film Festival. In mm-hmm. 2011. Remember 2011? Remember those simple times when if you joked about being a Nazi, you were just immediately deplatformed instead of, I don't know, becoming president? Remember that? I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> um, anyway, I, <laughs> I really like this movie. Um, I ended up watching it kind of twice. Oh, because I watched it last night and I had such a long day yesterday um, that like I felt like I didn't really get enough from it when I saw when I watched it. Okay, so I rewatched it this morning. Oh, wow. Nothing says (laughs) happy Sunday like melancholia. Yeah, I also watched it like two o'clock in the morning, so it's not that different. (laughs) So. I'm really glad I rewatched it this morning, too, because I did get way more out of it. Oh, cool. Um, I just, I mean, I think this is one of the most accurate 
um, portrayals of depression that I've ever seen as somebody right? who experiences depression. Yes. Um, and I was just, I was just like blown away by um, Kirsten Dunst. I I'm so glad you said that because like my entire brain the whole time was like we just need to talk about Kirsten Dunst for a little bit because she is such an incredible actor for so long like she has been incredible since she was a fucking kid um and she finally got nominated for an oscar this year everybody she did yeah for um the power of the dog i still have to watch that i didn't even know she was in that though oh she's incredible in the power of the dog and her husband jesse plemons is also in the movie as her husband and he got nominated so they're like they're got nominated for like a couple's academy award and it's really cute because they're both really talented um they are but sh- really talented. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, but that that movie is incredible. But here, I w- I could not stop thinking about how incredible she is in this movie because of how she portrays someone who's like trying so hard in the first half to not slip into depression, mm-hmm. and then when she does, like the way she kind of like portrays the ebbs and flows of depression and like what it looks like, it fucking punched me in the face because. Again, as someone who has who suffers from depression, I have never seen such an accurate representation of it, which was wild. Like, and it was weird because I came out of Antichrist just like this is the worst depiction of grief and depression I've ever seen. Not, well, that's an exaggeration, but it's not good. And then I come to Melancholia, and I'm like, it's like he course corrected. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Which I Look, I appreciate that because this one is not about brutalizing women. I still have some things I want to say about how he uses female characters, but <laughs> this one is much more like measured in terms of it's not this weird kind of like weird women are evil situation. It's just the earth is evil, which honestly, that's fine. Earth, <laughs> that's like the message of a lot of the movie. Great. Um but yeah, this movie punched me. And I have seen I have seen this before, but again, I watched this before I kind of understood I had depression. Um when I was this is 2011, so I was I think I yeah, I graduated high school and I was starting college. And that was when I like college is when I really figured out that there was something wrong, but like this was pre that and I didn't totally get it because I wasn't in touch with why I like how my depression was manifesting. So watching this now as someone who has like fully embraced the depression and is like medicated and has been going to therapists for a while, it hits very differently in a in a good slash sad fucked up way in terms of like, wow, like Lars von Trier does know what it is like to be absolutely unable to take a bath, to wash yourself, to eat like to function and some of the things you the weird things you do when you lash out like there's a scene I'm jumping ahead a little bit where she has sex with a colleague, but and it's, it's after her her husband is trying to seduce her and she doesn't want to have sex with him, and like you know with depression your sex drive can be very like significantly altered, and then she lashes out not lashes out and then she has sex with a colleague and I feel like that really grabs the very weird intricacies of depression in your brain when you're depressed like yeah that seems like weird behavior for her but depression makes your brain do some fucked up shit like in terms of how you react to things and like the response you think your body should have versus the one that your brain is think like, you're the one that your brain is like no this is the response you should have which is like again you don't see that a lot in depictions of depression um 
That's actually um, one of the parts that I at first had a problem with. Okay. Um, Let's talk about it. I don't know. I just... I, I, I think I tend to have like a knee-jerk reaction to any sort of depiction of mental illness where it makes you do something really fucking terrible. Um, okay. And and especially for me as somebody um, who, and this is not a unique experience, I realize, but I, I um, was cheated on uh, when I was about to get married. And uh, so that, I think, and a little close to home. Yeah, that's fucking fair, Dax. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And also, that was not me condoning her doing that, as as no. I hope I made clear. It was just an interesting, like, you know, whatever. You get what I mean. Yeah, well, well, we'll talk about it. Because at first, I was like, yeah, but being depressed doesn't make you fucking cheat on someone. And then I was, like, thinking about it more. And I was like, okay, no. But sometimes, maybe, like, it, it does make you do shit that you would not normally do. So maybe that was one of the things that she would not normally do. And for some reason it made sense in her head. And also depression makes you pretty self-destructive sometimes. Uh So it's like, it's almost like it, it, for me anyway, it's almost like my depression um, makes me, it makes me feel like a different person. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's not necessarily like a, um, depersonalization thing, but like sometimes I do feel like I'm what I um, it, it's not exactly like this, but sometimes it feels like I'm watching another person who looks like me yes. do these things. Yep. Um, and I know that it's wrong, or you know, I feel bad about whatever it is I'm doing. Usually for me, it's like, um, I become really angry mm-hmm. like really angry and like I can I can be a little bit like bitter and like um I use my words just to like cut through like someone okay um, yeah, yeah and like you know me I'm <laughs> I'm normally pretty nice and I was like, gonna say you're a pretty you're a pretty good person <laughs> well let's not go crazy but <laughs> um I just I try to build people up normally and like when yeah. I'm really depressed, and and it feels like for me, it feels like um, like almost like a black curtain, and I can feel it coming over my eyes, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. I know that I'm about to be like mean, like mean spirited. Yep. Um. So when I was like thinking about this scene, I was like, you know taking my own experience out of it maybe that is like her way of just being self-destructive she knows it's it's almost like um i think a lot of people who are depressed do this too it's almost like you want it in a relationship you want it to end but you don't want to end it because you don't want it to end so you do something oh my god person away that's so hopefully they just will end it oh my god yes you know Sorry. like you want it oh, to I end do. because you're depressed but you know if you weren't depressed you wouldn't want it to end you know i 
I I think I we do. do. I do. We do. Well, yeah, and like that's the thing. It's like when I feel when I am going through bouts of depression. So I'm I'm bipolar. I have bipolar two, and it's rapid cycling, which is fun. Which means my mood cycling is very fast. Uh, which you know, it's always a fun time. Um, so my depressive episodes feel like that curtain. Feel like it's like I'm still me, but I feel like my I'm I'm numb, which is a pretty common description for depression. But I just feel so detached from reality when I'm depressed that I don't care about things as much and like consequences. So like I just I'm not super destructive um, anymore. Uh, thanks to therapy and medication. But like I had those tendencies when I was in college and drinking a lot, like to, you know, try to f- make myself feel something with drink, like with drinking. Um, and now, you know, I still have those experiences, but I can deal with it a little bit better, sort of. But it is just like this weird cloud that comes over you. It's like, I, it's, I equate it sometimes like to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is like a, just an exaggeration, but it does feel like that. When I like, sw- it's almost like I switch, which yeah. unfortunately it was partially due to my bipolar disorder, but it's weird. It's a weird thing to describe. Yeah. And unless you go through it, you really can't like fully understand it because um, I think, and this movie shows this a lot. Like, I think that people like neurotypical people, they think, yeah, but things are good though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know. Oh, Yes. They're like, yeah, but like you can just like be happy, right? Like it's like I yeah. fucking wish, like we all fucking wish. I don't know. It it just it hit a little close to home. But when I thought more about it, I was like okay with it. Um, so I guess we can start quickly at the beginning. Um, with the yeah. slow mo sequence of the dream. I did not real. I I don't think I totally realized it was a dream. I thought it was just like some weird like apple like prologue situation i'm just like hey this is what's what's to come and i'm like great cool um but you got to figure out i guess you kind of realize it's a dream because justine later in the film goes i just know things like she like kind of hints at having some kind of psychic ability situation which is fascinating but it's like in fucking antichrist slow-mo operatic music of like destruction I will admit, when I first watched it last night, I was like, come on. <laughs> like, now that's what I call uh, self-indulgence. Uh, yeah, that's the worst part of the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> I actually don't mind it now. And I was trying to look something up, and I stumbled across like a Roger Ebert review. And he like loved the beginning part. So I was like, did other people like it? And apparently everyone loves it. Oh. I don't mind it. I don't think it's my favorite part of the film. And I don't necessarily think that we needed it. But it's Von Von Trier. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I thought it was really pretty, though, when I rewatched it this morning. It's pretty. Like, it is gorgeous. Like, there's no denying that it's absolutely gorgeous and that, like, it is, you know... It's a, it's really good at setting the tone of the movie. Like, you kind of know what to expect, which is, oh, you know, I appreciate that in terms of being like, hey, by the way, like, this is going to suck shit for everyone involved. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just sometimes, I think just, again, 
Von Trier is incredibly self-indulgent with some of the things he does. And I think this is one of those moments where I was like, I just don't need it. It, it just goes on for so long. But yeah, it's whatever. Like That's, minutes, I think. Yeah. Um, but. And, the, and then uh, when I was like, <laughs> when I was watching it, I was like, this is, this is self-indulgent. And then I was like, kind of like, am I just a little bit biased towards him? Because. Yeah. The beginning of. Um, the beginning of 2001 a space odyssey is also like 10 minutes and that's just like nothingness you know well i complained and, um, about that when i first saw it too so. <laughs> <laughs> i was like i mean i don't love that either but i i didn't question it because i was like oh well but it's like stanley kubrick so like you know that's fine but with Lars von Trier, i'm like oh my god what the fuck <laughs> but when I rewatched it this morning, I actually really liked um, some of the imagery because it does so closely mirror what depression feels like. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a part where Justine later she like describes the the part in the beginning where she feels like she's walking through like a woolly yes. darkness or whatever, and it's like like she pulling at her and it's really pretty in the beginning she's like in her wedding dress and it almost looks like you know in snow white where the the trees are like grabbing at her yes 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 that's kind of what it looks like and that is what depression feels like and then even with claire like um in the beginning there's like a a slow-mo shot of claire like like holding her kid and trying to like trudge through Mm -hmm. this like grassy field but the grass goes up to like her knee like when she steps on it and she can't get through it and it reminds me of how I sometimes describe depression where I'm like you know the oatmeal stairs on in Nightmare on Elm Street yeah Mm mm-hmm that's that's what I think depression feels like. And I was like, oh, this is just the more cinematic version of the oatmeal stairs. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. It's just funny to put it that it's just funny to put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I didn't mind it that much. But at first I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> what the fuck? What is this? In the opera music, the Wagner. Oh, and he uses Wagner, which is so an issue on top of itself because Wagner was like a Nazi sympathizer. And it did that have anything to do with um, his like weird joke? I don't remember. I don't. I don't know actually. I don't care. <laughs> um, then. I guess we see them trying to get to the wedding and um, they can't get up to the wedding, which I think is interesting because it's almost like, I mean, this is, this could be reaching, but it's like, she can't get, she can't get to the happy place. <laughs> like she literally can't. That, 
Yeah, and like I also saw it kind of I saw it as like an omen, like don't go there because True. in this in this moment, they're in this limo. It's it's actually really like it's a funny way to start the movie because she is she is happy, like she and so it's Kirsten Dunst as Justine and her husband played by Alexander Skarsgård, aka a hottie with a body. Um and they are in this hot. stretch limo. What? I don't think he's hot. I don't get it. That's fine. I get it. That's fine. Um <laughs> It's fine. Um, so they're in this limo trying to get up to the... It's like, Blanchard well, loves himself a remote location. Like, it's like a dirt fucking road that they're trying to get a limo up to, to this castle um, that her sister owns. And we'll talk about the wealth in this movie because that was something I could not stop thinking about. Mm. Um, and they're, like, trying to get tell the limo driver how to, you know, back up and get up because they can't go around this quick turn and they're giggling and like they're both behind the wheel of the limo trying to do it. And it just, it's kind of silly, but it's also this kind of like, holy shit, it's sticking forever. Like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which also feels like de- a, a kind of depression. Like you're trying so hard to get one simple thing done and you can't do it. Um, like that both there is a silliness to it and like a lighthearted nature like look she is happy like she is with this guy she's having a good time she's enjoying like this day with just him in this secluded spot and she's smiling and then they can't do this one task and when they finally accomplish the task it it just sets off a chain of events because they're finally up at this castle they're two hours late i think they said two hours late which like Mm -hmm. jesus christ like (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck um why do you live in a secluded area whatever i don't get i don't get it <laughs> but her sister claire played by charlotte gainsborough who was the main who was she in antichrist and she's also a nymphomaniac so her and von trier uh love each other um comes out of the house with her husband played by Kiefer sutherland which is hilarious and they're yet they're basically like reprimanding um justine immediately they're like you're so late everyone's waiting and justine's like okay and her husband is like we fought like the thing i like about the thing that i also like about her husband's character which we'll get into is like he is understanding of her and it's like on her side for a lot of it we can we can get into like into that because there's some complicated stuff there but they're kind of on the same page for at the beginning you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. He's pretty, he's sweet. They're like, oh, sorry, sorry, we're late. And they come into this, they come into this stuffy giant castle, which, (laughs) what the fuck? Um, And things just go downhill. Well, they come in and they're like, all right, guess how many beans are in the bottle? (laughs) Who starts a wedding off like that? This was literally me watching this, writing down like things to not do when you get married. Because <laughs> I'm getting married this year, um, for those of you who don't know, and I was dying at this. I'm like, wow, this is uh, the opposite of any kind of wedding that I would ever like to have. No, you should do that at your wedding, just only as a joke for just me. Yes, <laughs> oh, but only you will guess the beans. No one else can guess the beans. It's just you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would make me laugh. That would be so funny. But, yeah, so that's, and then, oh my god, this, the cast is stacked in this movie, at least in the first half, like, let's, truly, it's truly. wild how many people are in this movie. John Hurt. 
John Hurt's the weird dad. Charlotte Rampling is the, the really mad mom. Udo Kier is their bitchy wedding planner. <laughs> My very best friend. I love him in everything. I, he's in it for like two seconds, but he's incredible. He's like, she ruined my wedding. I will not be, I will not look at her and puts his hand up. And I'm like, this is so weird, but it's incredible. Like, well, thank every, you. Every time he sees her, he puts his hand it's up. <laughs> it's so funny. It's incredible. Um, who else? Brady Corbett. It's the man. The, friend of the friend show. Of the, friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, Brady Corbett. Um, who else? I don't remember. Stellan Skarsgård, who is of Alexander Skarsgård's dad. Um, he's also in this, and we've we we have seen him, and will continue to see him in these movies. Um, and he is the horrific boss of Justine. So like, Justine is having an okay time with her new husband, and then she walks into basically a room of just like sharks, who are miserable in their own way like her sister and her husband are very stuffy um her mom is just against the concept of marriage entirely her dad is a shit like it's just every and then her boss stands up to give a speech and promotes her and then is like hey by the way work during your wedding and she's just getting like fucking barraged with like her parents fighting publicly in front of everyone her boss calling her out like everything is just piling on and she snaps yeah understandably so uh I, yeah <laughs> i just went in the part where um her mom was like being how she is <laughs> uh and she wouldn't like her <laughs> her speech was like i don't believe in marriage um especially for like my daughters like i was just like this reminds me of my mom (laughs) (laughs) not that my mom doesn't believe in marriage but it's like you can't even just pretend to just be a little bit happy for me like just once have to hijack it and make it about yourself (laughs) yeah that's the Um, way we do it and that hit a little close to home too at all, at almost every part of this did because yes this when you're depressed th- these are the people that you're dealing with yes i well, could like, not believe well, first of all i was i missed the part that um her boss was her father-in-law at first i was like why the fuck would you invite your boss to your wedding <laughs> like why but now i get it well i got it the second time i watched it <laughs> yeah um the slogan he wants her to make some slogan for some campaign it's like really really but yeah obviously that's the slogan for the movie too right what really no 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 like (laughs) like um just kidding i think that i think that those characters especially brady corbett is like another part of von trier where he's like I gotta sell this fucking movie, right? <laughs> and and then later on, um, Justine comes up with the um, the tagline of nothing. Yeah, because let's because you think about it, and you're like, how do I make a movie about crippling depression into a marketable film? Exactly. <laughs> and you huh? and 
Well, and it just, God, this scene, this whole moment with the wedding, because this movie, Montreer loves his movies being split into parts. So this is part one, just scene, which is all about the wedding and the one night. And it really does, though, get to, like, the core of things building and building and your brain just, like, being like, I don't know how to handle any of this anymore. I am going to go on, like, weird maintenance mode and I'm going to float through the world. And she starts, like, she goes to see her nephew and put him to sleep. She goes to take a bath. Like, she's doesn't – it seems weird and it is weird, but it's just, like, what her brain want, like takes her to do, even though she's at a wedding. And it's, like, setting this at a wedding is so purposeful because, you know, it's supposed to be the happiest day of your life. And obviously it's not the happiest day of a life. Um, but, you know, obviously very, very obvious metaphor here, friend, friendo, Lars von Trier. But, you know, it's, like, setting her, seeing her behavior as being, like, oh, she should be doing this as the bride, but really she wants nothing to do with it. And everyone, like her sister especially, is like, we spent all this money for you. Like, don't, are you sure? Like, you want to do this, don't you? And she's like trying to make everyone happy, even though she's so depressed. I know. Well, I think her sister was more like, just be happy. Just like, just do it. Yeah. Just, like, pretend. And her brother-in-law was like, we spent so much yes, money. Yes, yes. How many holes are in the golf course? Like, First of all, that was weird. Like, why did he keep bringing that up? Yeah, sorry. No one asked you to have an 18-hole golf course on your fucking property, you idiot. <laughs> it was also, like, um, that weird dialogue again. Like, um, Von Trier didn't edit it at all. <laughs> like, he's like, here we offer people an 18-hole golf course or whatever. And I'm like, why are you saying it like that? <laughs> Like, the way yeah. that you're delivering that line is, like, no one talks like that. I don't know. It was really fucking weird to me. He was so off-putting in this movie. This yeah. This around um, Kiefer yeah. Sutherland. Yeah. And it's, like, the thing with this part, too, is it could be its own movie, I feel like. It could. Like, it's, it's interesting because these two... So, the movie is two distinct parts between the wedding and then the after, like, the after of the wedding. And the wedding could be its own movie, and like there's a the movie um, that I talked about when we first started this by Thomas Vinterberg. Uh, shit, I cannot remember the name of it. It's like uh, Thomas Vinterberg. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a similar format to this in terms of like a dinner party as like a really f- yes, like a formal dinner party, and then it all goes to shit. So it felt like, and it had like you know he still is adopting some of those Dogma ninety five like kind of ta- tactics with. A lot of like the weird kind of quick zoomy, hand like handheld camera te- like techniques. I hated it. <laughs> so it felt like that a little bit in terms of just like a drama at a wedding, and it is not a good time. Which I'd watch. There is a movie kind of similar to that. Have you ever seen Demon? I have seen Demon. It's somewhat similar. It yeah. But Especially if you know the director's, like, backstory at all, um, then it's, like, more obvious of a metaphor. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen Demon, it's really great. It's really good. Um, um, I liked this part of the movie a lot because, first of all, I like that we don't know shit. <laughs> like, we don't really know. We get to know who people are, but, like, we don't know her Justine's relationship with Michael at all. 
Um, and, and sometimes it even seems like they don't like know each other, which I think does happen if you're somebody who has depression and you're with somebody who does not deal with that at all. Um, it's almost like they, when they first see this side of you, they like, they don't understand, like does not compute Mm -hmm. like what's going on. Um, and it's like it's obvious that they've been together for a little while um because he he does reference like her like bouts of sadness but that just like highlights the fact that he doesn't get really what's going on he like buys a plot of land without telling her and it doesn't seem like she like minds that but he says like something about like um, maybe seeing, like, our kids play on the swing, like, on the tree will make you happier. And when you feel, like, a little sad sometimes, um, this will make you happy. And she just, like, smiles, like, kind of in pain. And she's like, that's very sweet. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, he, like, doesn't get it. He doesn't get that it's just, like, a little sad. Like, later on you see, like, she cannot function. She can't even lift herself up enough to get into the tub. She can't, like, clean herself. She can't eat. Um, and it's like, how does he not understand, <laughs> like, if they've been well, together? But like, and also, it is such a, such a reality for people who are depressed, who are, have, who have friends, who have a partner, who don't understand the depths of depression, and who think they're doing a good thing, and like, you know, their intentions are sweet, but they just don't totally get it. And it's hard sometimes to get it if you aren't depressed. It's hard so much to be like, hey, this is the sweetest thing you could do, but I also hate it so much. Or and just like, that it's just not helpful. It's not helpful. And that and that's the thing. It's like, no one's wrong in that scenario. It's just like the fucking tragedy of depression of being like, you are trying to help me and I appreciate it, but that shit is not going to help me. And you just feel kind of hopeless in that moment of being like, well... I guess I'll never feel happiness again. Like, that's kind of how I felt with her, where she, like, was trying so hard to be happy that he bought her this, like, plot of land with apple trees and a place for her to be outside. And then immediately she was like, I have to go. Like, I can't. (laughs) I don't want to be here anymore. Like, don't want to reveal how little it helps, but still, like, trying to appreciate that he's trying. Yeah. Because it's almost like when people do stuff like that, at least for me, I feel like a little guilty because I'm like, yes, I, I am thankful that you're trying and I'm thankful that you did this for me, but it isn't helpful. Like almost nothing is helpful. Like that's what I wanted to touch on before is like when you are somebody who experiences depression, there is like a point where you need to get yourself help, you know, like. A therapist or and or medication or Kirsten, Kirsten Dunst actually checked herself into a rehab um, when she was like I want to say 25 for depression you know stuff like that oh wow like, I didn't know that yeah which is I think part of why she's so fucking good at portraying depression because she's okay. experienced it um, that makes sense yeah uh, so it's like 
I mean, I appreciate it, but this, like, an apple tree is not gonna... <laughs> is not gonna cut it, dude. It's not gonna solve the depression. He yeah. just seems a little, like... He... A little dumb. He's a gold, he's a, He reminds me of a golden retriever. Like, he I was, was just trying say that. Yeah. really hard to be sweet. And my other thought, too, with this movie is, like, she says when you're feeling a little sad. And I wonder if... She, like, I wonder if he had never really seen, like, a full-blown depressive episode with her. Like, I wonder... Yeah, I guess her sister says to hide it from him. Yeah, so I'm curious, like, if she hid it really well, or if, like, she was, you know, seeing somebody... Because this movie doesn't touch on therapy or medication at all in terms of, like some a method of coping with depression um which was interesting to me it feels like von Scheer has kind of a little bit of an anti-medication anti-therapy stance between this and um antichrist is kind of the vibe i got which i feel like is a common thing for people with you know who are dealing with mental illness i get that because i have had my fair share of horrendous experiences as a therapist and psychiatrist and finding the right medication is hard it sometimes doesn't feel like it helps but i do feel like it's important to realize that sometimes you do need help and that there are really good therapists out there um i have one and Me i also too. know how, how hard it is to find that and i will not but von Trier like does not touch on this at all like in this movie it's not even like really talked about if she's getting any kind of help it's just like her sister is helping her when we transition mm-hmm. to the second half of the film when her, she comes and lives with her sister and is just sleeping all the time. So it's just fascinating to see how Von Trier seems to kind of interpret intervention from uh, professionals in terms of experiencing mental illness. Yeah. And I also like that um, touching on like the privilege aspect, this is like the most beautiful person um like in a rich family at this lavish wedding and she's still experiencing it because none of that shit fucking matters it could happen to anybody Mm-hmm. exactly um, and I think that I think it's interesting if you listen to all of the wedding speeches they're all like you're so beautiful even her husband her <laughs> husband this is why i said he's a little dumb because um he's like i've never given a speech before so it's like why didn't you fucking write one but okay uh and he's just like you're so gorgeous i am the luckiest man on earth and to me that sounded like what he thinks he should be saying so i was curious as to if he was being genuine or not but then I was like, he seems too dumb to not be <laughs> I think he just, like, is... But he's also trying to play a part. Like, this whole right. first part... This whole first half of the movie is a lot of people trying to play the parts and what happens when you don't play the part you're expected to and the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is trying so hard to play his little sweet golden retriever part. And he's doing okay. Like, he's 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 trying. And then... Justine is like, I cannot fucking do this. Um, her sister's trying to. The the brother-in-law is trying to. The Justine's mom just gives up and goes and takes a bath too. Which, which though, because they're both. So Justine mm-hmm. and her mom are taking baths in different bathrooms, not together. Don't worry. It's not that weird. Um, 
but they're both like taking depression baths. And as someone who takes a lot of depression baths, hardcore relate, but also like this can, this kind of um, suggests like depression as running in the family. Mm-hmm. And like these women are dealing with this, it's like not just a like a like a, a rogue instance, but this is an issue like that is being passed down between generations of women, which is true. Like it ha- that's mm-hmm. it happens, and it almost recontextualizes like the things that the mother was saying beforehand. Yeah, um, because it's like does does she really mean to be like this, or is she depressed for some or no reason? And then like later when Kiefer Sutherland like um what's his character's name again John John uh, when John is like saying that he tried to kick the mom out um Kirsten Dunst is like or Justine is like um you always do and he's like yeah I do and it's like how many times have they dealt with the mother being like this too where he's just like I'm I fucking had it everyone's acting really inappropriately and I don't get it. <laughs> and like, what the fuck is... I mean, he actually says that. He's like, is every woman in your family, like, stark raving mad? I don't know. For me, anyway, it, it just, like, a little bit recontextualized, like, what was going on with the mother there. Well, and that also makes really leads me to talk about Von Trier and women in this movie. Yes. Because... And I'm very curious to see what you think about this, because in these movies and by these movies, it's I'm thinking about Antichrist and Melancholia first and foremost, but it kind of leaks in with the other two films we've talked about, is that in his movies, it's really only women dealing with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And it's women in the throes of mental illness, because there's just you see just seen in the first part as dealing with depression. And then we also see her dealing with depression in the second half. But we also see Claire, her sister, trying to cope with anxiety, um, like really intense anxiety, which that fucking kicked me in the teeth, which we'll talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then the mother having ish, like having her own kind of depressive episode. And it's the men being these kind of antagonistic or clueless characters, which also happens in Antichrist in terms of him. <laughs> trying to cure his wife and just being a fucking arrogant idiot. And I just, I'm curious what you think about this, because I'm trying to parse my thoughts about, like, why it's always women. And look, I love a messy female character. And in this movie, again, he course corrects, I think, with what he's trying to do with Antichrist and creates an incredible depiction of both depression and anxiety with these two sisters. But I'm just wondering why it seems like he only gives female characters mental illness and not men. Um, and I think there's like probably a very obvious answer that can be said there is like women and mental illness and I don't I don't know, something basic. But it's just something that's been nagging in the back of my head with how all of his like main characters are women up until a point, which we'll talk about with the next film. And it's just, it's weird. I I think that he, I think you said this last episode, he uses women as like, almost like an alter ego for himself. Yeah. And I think that that might be because he thinks women are like, um, not only mysterious to him um, or in general, but also they have like 
I think he thinks they have this mysterious, like, natural enlightenment about the world and about how things work and everything. And I think he thinks Mm. that men are too simple to understand um, complex issues like this. But there, and then therein lies the hysterical nature of that then because he himself is a man that wouldn't be able to tap into that enlightenment he so thinks that women have so therefore you're creating this image of a woman that you think exists but you're basing it off of like these weird idealistic perspectives you have as a man mm-hmm. so it like comes like this weird like Ouroboros situation where like he's he thinks he's doing something with these female characters but look like women are better for lack of like you know just like to be yeah. reduct- reductive in my wording here but then it's like but you also are a man coming at it from that perspective so it's an interesting it's weird it's very weird it's a weird gray area with him that unless I don't, he doesn't see himself as a man see i was okay this was like a weird thought in my head i'm like is he having thoughts about he thinking he's a woman which is like not i i, I was like there is not like a tr- necessarily a trans allegory to be had here, but it, it pops into my head for a hot second. I, I've thought this in some of his other films too. Yeah, like um, it's curious. I don't know. Like, what are you getting at? Because I yeah. see it, and if I see it, surely someone else sees it. Yeah, I was because I was like, I was like, am I? just trying too hard to see something but it it it's all with all of the movies we've watched so far i'm like there's something here that's a little bit i think he's trying to work through maybe some gender identity things and even if he doesn't explicitly know it it just feels like there's some interesting things he's grappling with perhaps subconsciously in terms of gender but yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i don't know i i i mean yeah, just to answer your question, I think that he thinks women... I think he thinks women are more powerful and more enlightened, but also naturally weaker. Does that make any sort of yes, sense? Yes, it does. It Because that's like... But that is such a thing. It's like, oh, women have this like... Like a like, mental he, fortitude? Yeah, because like he even has Justine be psychic. You know what I mean? Like these little qualities of like women are in touch with things in like a spiritual metaphysical way, but mm-hmm. like emotionally they're not. So like where women are like perceived as weak, there actually is some strength, but just like in a more esoteric way. Right, Exactly. Yeah, and which I, like which like I like this movie, but really like when you think about the, how he's like he is kind of reductive about women a lot of the time in these movies. And while his depiction of depression in this is great, and like I really do enjoy it, it's just when you talk about it, like his idea of women is so stereotypical in a way, with in terms of like women have a connection with the world in a different way that men don't, and they might not be physically strong, but in ways they are connected with nature. It's just very both a little bit insulting but also he's trying not to be and again like this man is just constantly walking some weird tightrope that he does not really know what he's saying it's fascinating yeah it's not it's not like he's making like a firm choice in either direction no. which i guess is fine like you can live in that gray area but 
I don't know. It seems like a really long-winded way of saying that you don't know something. <laughs> but, like, and his entire career is that for the most part, I feel like, too. It's like... Yeah, that's what I, I understand. Mean, like... Yeah, like, using your art to, like, get through that, like, to kind of understand, like, great. But n- it's been a long time, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like, after year, like, 15 and hour, like, 18. Like, how do you still not have any sort of answer for yourself? Yeah. I feel like he probably tried to with Antichrist and was like, wait, that wasn't the right answer. <laughs> He's like, that, wasn't, that didn't come out how I, how I wanted it to. That wasn't the answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then Justine calls off the wedding and then... Which does she? Does she actually like call off the wedding? I don't... I it's not that. like... It's... So the it's not super clear. The only big context kind of clue is when she's about to go riding with her sister. She goes, "I really tried, Claire," and Claire goes, "I know you did." So uh, that kind that of killed me. I know, and like, because I've said things like that. Like, I'm trying really hard to make things work and to appear like I'm not bone shatteringly emotionally devastated at just like existing. Yeah. I say it all the time. I'm like, I'm doing my best. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I'm trying to get through the day. And so it's like, they don't explicitly say they called it off, but she says that. And then, you know, in the second part of the movie, she's by herself. Um, yeah. I mean, you see Michael leave, but it's after. I didn't get why he had to leave. I, I don't know. He, she gets in a fight with his father, obviously, because he's fucking hounding her to like, give him a slogan for some ad campaign and he has fucking um tim played by brady corbett like following around following her around like her whole wedding for like seemingly hours which how the fuck long is this wedding this wedding is a nightmare like a fucking nightmare 11 p.m. we'll be cutting the cake. I'm like, 11 p.m. is when I'm going fucking home, like, at my own wedding. Like, you will not be cutting the cake at 11 p.m., you fucking imbecile. I think it was worse. I think they said 11.30, and I was like, 11.30? What? Like, what? And, and Wrap when, this fucker up. When they walk up, um, Claire shows Justine, like, where they are on the itinerary, and they're not even, like, halfway through. So I'm like, what is going on? Just cut something out. Like, what's happening? No, no one wants to do this. Yeah, but they go it, like light lanterns on the golf course. I'm like, can, is that is this optional? Yeah, it's like what the fuck. But again, I guess when you're when you are depressed, things like that, like parties and shit like that, they feel so fucking long. And it's like and so this is never gonna end. And such a wait, like it's just yeah, exactly. You're like I am stuck in this hell forever. Yeah, that's why I just don't go. Like I have no problem. <laughs> I, I I told all my friends like in advance. I'm like I want to be invited to your party, but please understand that I probably won't go. And they all get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said that years ago, and they still abide by that, and I appreciate. I it. love that. I love that. Oh, the I wedding? Guess, sorry, I was just saying that. I don't get why he had to leave. That's stupid. <laughs> Who cares about your dad? It was just like the whole thing of just like, I don't know, nepotism and him getting, I don't know, him being manipulated by his dad, which also goes to show that he's probably a little golden retriever boy who is like being told what to do, um, et cetera. 
And then we go to part two where Justine is like so depressed that she can't get into a cab. Because which like, look, she been there. Um, Because so now it's it's from Claire's perspective, mostly. And Claire, Justine is now coming to stay with them again in their giant castle of a house in the middle of nowhere must be nice to be rich um and john is like what the fuck he says she's a terrible influence on you and i'm just like you're a piece of garbage um he's such a trash bag we didn't even talk about how like um in a lot of von Trier's movies like i feel like the men are violent with their words yes Ooh, there's yes. a scene where at the wedding um justine has like removed herself from the party again and John is, like, sitting in a room waiting for her, like, in a corner, like a fucking, like, Disney villain. And he's, like, um, basically, like, do you have any idea how much this costs me? And she's, like, no, should I? And um, he's, like, yeah, like, blah, blah, blah. For most people, like, an arm and a leg. It's really expensive. And just be happy. Like, we need to reach an agreement where you're happy. She's very, like, diplomatic about it, and she's like, I hope you feel your money is well spent. It's a beautiful party. Like, thank you so much. And he's just, like, so imposing. It's another scene where it almost feels like he's going to attack her in some way, but he doesn't. You know what I mean? Like, we see that in, like, Dancer in the Dark. Um, What's-his-face, the the cop, it seems like he's going to attack um, uh, Bjork's character, and he doesn't. Um, there are many scenes in Antichrist where uh, Willem Dafoe does not attack uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character, even when possibly it's warranted. Like, um, you know what I mean? And then in yes. this one, I mean, even in Breaking the Ways, we don't see anybody attack Bess. You know, I wonder what that's all about. They do attack her in that movie, but um, not all the times that you think they will. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I just think that's interesting. I thought it was interesting in this one where it's like, what are you about to do? And then he doesn't. He's just fucking really mean (laughs) and then leaves. And he's like, no, be fucking happy, basically. It's like, well, yeah, now that's definitely going to do the trick. (laughs) Yeah, wow, you've really convinced me. Thank you so much. You've cured my depression. I will now be happy for you. And yeah, dance exactly. like a little monkey, you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's such a... Uh, so many words, but anyway, sorry. Well, and, like, this translates to when we get to this part where, like, now the apocalyptic shit's really starting to happen. Like, there's, like, little hints at it at the beginning, but now, like, we're getting to, like, the crux of, like, the planet Melancholia is coming for Earth. Um... So, and he is, like, I couldn't tell if he was an enthusiast or he himself was, like, an astrologer. Um, That's a little bit, it's left a little bit unclear about, like, his relationship with astrology and if he is just, like, a weird rich hobby boy or it's his part of his career. Um, But he is so convinced that it will not hit Earth. And his wife, Claire, is convinced it will. And she is doom-googling everything, which, boy, oh, boy... Mm. 
do I relate to? Because her anxiety was, oh my God, like that, that hit me too. Cause I, my anxiety is worse than my depression. Um, mm -hmm. at, at least in my brain it is. And watching her do that gave me anxiety. Cause I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is me. Like what, like with the current events going on, like I've had panic attacks with Steve has to like talk me down about like nuclear war and like me freaking out about it. So and like worst possible situation so this was like very relevant to me in terms of like and then you see that because well, like in terms of being terrified and you see this contrast between justine and claire because justine like welcomes it with open arms like i love it she's just like you know what here it comes like hell and again incredibly on the nose here when <laughs> She just, like, accepts the death of the planet with open arms. And she's like, my depression's cured. I'm ready for the end of days. I loved all of those aspects. I love that John is, like, he's basically representing all neurotypical people. Yeah, it's like, it's going to be fine. Look, it's so fun. Look, take pictures with the planet in the background and look at it on telescope and make fun little toys and you can see how close and far away it's getting yeah like there's no fucking possible way something bad could happen like there's no way and then um claire there are so many scenes in the second half of this movie which by the way um when it said part two claire i was like oh my god that was only part one what the <laughs> fuck because you know how he always has like 17 chapters <laughs> you're like Oh, no. I was I was so scared. I was like, "How the fuck long is this movie?" <laughs> um. Anyway, um, and there were a lot of scenes where Claire, her actions reminded me of my OCD. Like, yes! you can see, she's sitting yes! there trying not to do the thing, and you can literally see it in her eyes that she is thinking about doing the thing. Um, literally me at like any given moment with anything that pops into my head it's just like hmm, yeah. I shouldn't do it and then you can't stop thinking about it until you do it like you have you, like there is you know like because we both have OCD it's like it, you can't get rid of it it's stuck in your brain until you do something to get rid of it like yeah. however kind of like whatever rituals or kind of like habits you have to help you with that it will not go away yeah and then so for instance, um, the one scene I'm thinking about is towards the very end where um, her son has made this, like, toy, um, basically, where you can, like, measure how it, it's like a wire on a stick and you hold the stick against your chest and it sticks out. And then the wire, you can um, shrink it or enlarge it to the size of the planet Melancholia. Um, and see how f how far away it is, or if it's moving closer or getting further away. Um, it's it's really more simple than I'm explaining it. And um, she's like part of her like doom, uh, her doom research. I guess I don't know what she's doing. <laughs> She, you can see her, the, the toy is like on the table. Um, Justine and Leo are eating breakfast and you see her keep looking at the toy because she doesn't want to grab it and look at the planet. She wants to be in the moment really bad, but she can't because she keeps thinking about 
um, the planet getting closer. And then finally she does grab it and runs away and like uses it and sees the planet is getting closer. And then she starts crying. And it reminded me of like, uh, my, my dealing with OCD where like, um, especially when I'm actively trying to, uh, um, not recover, but <laughs> deal with it. Cope on Cope. a daily basis, lit, survive. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, so for me, my OCD is very um, based around like germs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't, I can't even think about it. Um, but one of the things that I had to learn not to do was to impulsively or compulsively uh, like use hand sanitizer because mm-hmm. I, I did it too much. And in fact, in high school, I got really sick because I, I used hand sanitizer hand sanitizer like way too much oh shit and it like really like negatively affected my immune system holy shit yeah i i've had ocd since i was like a kid um and it's always been like about germs and stuff Mm -hmm. um so like when she was sitting there like looking at the thing and trying not to do it and like trying to be normal i was like she's gonna do it <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I do that all like the there's time. S- sorry guys it's hard to like that little voice it's like do it it's it takes two seconds it gives you that little boost of serotonin or whatever like just do the thing it'll make you feel better and it's like no it won't but it will for two seconds yeah <laughs> i i especially do it when, like when i when i have to wash my hands um it often takes me especially lately it takes me so long because I will wash them and then like I will feel like they're not washed enough, so I do it again mm-hmm. and like I just it, I mean there are times where it, I'm I'm washing my hands for like five minutes fucking straight, oh, and shit. I mean I have like alligator skin like you can actually see it it's really bad, um so I don't know it just reminded me of that because I'm like I have been there trying to be normal and I can't do it. Yeah. And like I know I'm laughing. Um it's not funny. It's just <laughs> it's just like uh how you do if, if you know you know. Yeah. Exactly. And like my OCD is much more like intrusive thoughts related. It's not as much contamination. It's like very much like really really bad intrusive thoughts about things happening to me or to other people and the only way to yeah. help get rid of them is to do my compulsive stuff, or like my compulsions. Um, it's fucking terrible and it's hard and like when you think that there's a way that you can like quickly get rid of these thoughts in your brain then like it's just it's like an addiction not addiction it sounds like i'm not trying to reduce it but like it feels like an addiction sometimes in terms of like a way to turn your brain off for a second it doesn't help and like nothing fucking like you do it and you're back where you start where you started but like i don't know it's a struggle it's fucking hard OCD sucks. It's fucking terrible. It really does. And it was just interesting um, because I know Claire isn't like representing like OCD. She is just, I think, representing anxiety. But I mean, obviously, that plays a really big role when you have OCD. Though I do have very bad anxiety too. And I was like, stop looking at the internet. I know. Turn it off, bitch. (laughs) Which is easy for me to say, I guess. Although, I don't know, I would say we're facing the end of days, <laughs> maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. The, actually, this movie really did remind me of now. 
Yeah. Which, which was interesting it, to me. That, well, and it was like, there are two wolves inside of me. I felt like that watching this movie because I have been struggling with what's going on in the world. Like, every, like everyone has been struggling. And, like, my anxiety is really bad with, like, nuclear war stuff. And it has been for a very long time. And now that this is happening, I feel like I'm going to fucking throw up at any given moment. Um, and But I also go through phases of being really, really anxious and then, like, accepting it. <laughs> because, like, you see Justine, like, getting naked and just, like, laying in the light of melancholia. Which I fucking love that scene where she's just, like, vibing mm-hmm. in the moonlight. Like, very witchy vibes. And it was incredible because she just, like, is, like, cool. Like, it's going to happen. And sometimes I get there where I'm like, okay, well, like, if... I'm depressed already. Like, if the bad shit's going to happen, like, let's just get it over with. And then I go to, like, no, 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 no. And I, like, switch back and forth between these two all the time. It's exhausting. But in Mm. this movie, I felt very seen in terms of, like, how they switch back and forth between the two of them. Because while the second half is from the perspective of Claire, you still see a lot of Justine because it's really just the two of them plus John and the little kid in the giant castle. So it's a lot more, like... The dynamics are a lot more kind of um, sussed out between the sisters and how they are going through the world and how they interact with each other. And it just hit me like I contain both of you inside of my body. And at any given moment, not sure which one it's going to be, but we'll see. And that is an exhausting existence. It is. Yeah. Something I really liked about um, this movie was... I I don't know. I guess Claire has anxiety. Um, John references it, but otherwise she seems pretty neurotypical and he is definitely neurotypical. He doesn't get the anxiety or the depression at all. Um, And I like that this movie shows when you're, when you're somebody who deals with mental illness, particularly something like depression where you are, I mean, you're not fully helpless, but it feels like you're fully helpless. And then yeah. you are faced with a situation like that is like catastrophic um, on any level. In this case, it's, I mean, apocalyptic, <laughs> like the world is going to end. Um, it, you get almost calm because you're used to you're used to feeling overwhelmed and you're used to that powerlessness but because it's an actual thing that you're powerless against, it's not just in your mind. Um, you're able to cope with it better than mm-hmm. somebody um, who is neurotypical. A lot of the times they can't deal with like catastrophic events. A lot of the times neurotypical people can't deal with very minor um, not inconveniences, but like, small scale like uh i don't know problems (laughs) yes you know like so john i i mean this is the end of the world i probably would have done the same thing but like he cannot deal with it at all like once he figures out that melancholia is going to collide with earth and they're all going to fucking die. He can't deal with that. And he just like nopes himself out of there. What a fucking um, coward though. What a fucking coward. 
I only thought he was a coward because he didn't tell his wife. Because he that's what to me that's that why was like, I don't care that yeah no the the he commits suicide by taking pills that's fine I'm saying like just disappearing with nobody without anybody and not telling her and just like going to the horse stables I'm like bruh come on now like give everyone a heads yeah. up. Well, to me, I read that two ways. Like, I was like, is this a man being a man where he's like, nope, I want to die being right? (laughs) Or was he actually trying to save her from anxiety? But, like, I would argue that that is not um, an effective way of doing that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was both, but I saw it kind of as, like, he didn't want to admit he was wrong to his wife. So he just, like, he, um, he, uh, yeah, he killed himself inside of a horse stable without telling anybody and just being like, bye. Oops, sorry, I was wrong. Yeah, it's just... Embarrassed, uh, like ashamed. Like there was like that male shame in there of like, I was so sure I was correct and I am so horrifically wrong and I refuse to take responsibility for that to like accountability. So I'm just going to like take, could take it, just take myself out of the equation. Exactly. I was just trying to be a little generous because I'm like, well, maybe. Oh, uh, <laughs> I I'm just like, no. <laughs> I definitely saw it as he just did not want to tell his wife that he was wrong. Um, and he, like, died um, being right in her eyes, I guess. But then, like, and then you have this, like, at the end, though, you have this, like, interesting little matriarchy. Um, between the sisters and the little boy. And it's like, now, now... Justine is kind of in control of the situation. She's calm. She's kind of like, Justine, Claire wants to have this like romantic end of days thing on the terrace with wine and music. And Justine is like, that's fucking shit. We should all just hang out in the bathroom, like on the toilet. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, uh, incredible, an incredible sisterly exchange in the face of the apocalypse. Um, but then, so, Justine has a really special relationship with her nephew and he calls her Auntie Steelbreaker, which is so fascinating. And I wanted more about that because there isn't really a description about why she's called Auntie Steelbreaker, but it's kind of just got this whole vibe that like she is a very strong character to him, a strong person who was there for him and like will indulge him in his like imagination because he they want to make magical caves. So she makes a magical little teepee structure out of sticks where they can all sit together as bad things are about to happen. And it's like she takes control in this situation and shows, like you were saying, Dax, people that, ha- that you know, are dealing with mental illness and depression are sometimes the calmest under pressure in these, like, dire times. Because it's like, oh, we are always living on the edge of everything is terrible and destructive. So when we're faced with the reality of that, we are calm in the face of it and can provide guidance in a weird, fucked up way. And also it's like sometimes it almost feels like vindication like for me yeah being somebody who has always had germ ocd and people i mean people have straight up told me that i'm crazy like mm-hmm. um which you don't need to tell me i already fucking feel it <laughs> Look, but... i live this every day guys like i swear <laughs> to you i know <laughs> yeah someone recently said that to me and i was like wow that enraged me more than it usually does <laughs> Um, Jesus Christ. Because, actually, that is a good point. So, um, I was talking to somebody about um, 
it was when Omicron was like kind of going wild, right? And yeah. um I I mentioned that I wanted I don't want to like give away who I was talking to at all, but I was like I want to do this thing in preparation just in case I can't get here sooner than I normally do. Um, because like, what if things need to shut down or should shut down and then like, um, small businesses like decide to, um, close until like the numbers go down. Right. And mm-hmm. this person got really mad and st- started like yelling at me, um, in public oh. <laughs> and, oh. um, they were like, I can't think like that. If I think like that, I'll never leave my house. And, um, Hello. You know, you're just you're crazier than most people are and you're crazy about these things, um, particularly about germs. Um, so I can't like I can't even think about another lockdown or anything because like it's it's not going to happen. I can't do that. Going off. Right. And I've, I, of course, got mad because I was like, OK, yes. I am normally, like, um, nervous for no reason, like, anxious for no reason about germs. But this time is, like, it's a real threat. Um, And that is something we need to think about. And I was being, like, calm about it because I'm like, it's real this time, (laughs) you know? And that's how it was in the beginning of the pandemic, too. Um, My bosses, like, called to check on me, and I was like, Honestly, like nothing that I do normally has changed. Like I, I wash my hands all the time. I wash my hands when I come in from outside. I like uh, wipe my phone. I wipe all of my stuff down every day. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and these were things that were new to everybody else. I was like, well, yeah, I wipe my desk down every day at work, <laughs> you know, or yeah, I wipe my phone like multiple times every day because your phone is very germy. Um, so when like COVID started happening, I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. It's real. And I'm prepared for it. And everybody else isn't, you know what I mean? So I'm sure that in relation to this movie, Justine felt like, um, a little bit vindicated because like, I mean, it's on the nose, but depression does sometimes feel like the world is going to fucking end. And like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, you're just gonna die like you're just gonna fucking fall over and die and there's nothing you can do about it and then she's faced with that actual reality and she's like oh i this is actually like comforting that i've already experienced this feeling when it wasn't a threat and now the threat is here and i can like kind of deal with it in some weird fucking way like you know what i mean well yeah and you're like oh i've always been like worried about this happening and now it's happening cool i don't have to like think about any it's like the worst is happening so now my brain can kind of quiet down exactly and it's also like see i wasn't fucking crazy exactly yeah like hey hmm maybe that's how i I felt yeah i'm I'm sorry to say that but like when covid started i was like i was fucking right and yeah. like I'm ready for it. I'm like I know I know life. what to fucking do. I've been preparing for this my whole life. Ew, I hate it. Yeah. But still, like I've been preparing. I spent my whole life being told I was psychotic and I'm not psychotic. I'm ready. You know? Yep. It was yep. just in advance. 
very much in advance. I don't know. Yeah. I felt that a lot about this movie. Like, uh, just like, yeah, that is what it feels like when you're constantly worried about a threat and then the threat comes and then now you're like, okay with it. But like I'm ready. Who, like I'm ready to go. Yeah. And then other people who don't acknowledge your, the threat that you feel or say you're crazy or whatever. Um, they're the ones who they're, they can't cope with it. And I'm not saying we should all go around and just let ourselves be anxious or anything like that. Like I am medicated. I go to therapy. Um, I have for a long time, Mm -hmm. especially for OCD. I'm not saying what I think almost that this movie is saying, which is let yourself go into it. Um, I'm just saying I see where Justine is coming from. That's all. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah, I think Von Trier a lot of the time is like, lose yourself and your <laughs> mental illness. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, oh, buddy, don't, don't, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I think he thinks it like makes you in tune with nature or something. Like, that's what I get from that. And um, I don't. I don't agree because it's not romantic like really like he romanticizes it because he's a fucking filmmaker and he shoots everything in slow-mo but um like you should uh, I I hate to preach but like you should always get help if you are able to yeah exactly like I think he yeah I think he romanticizes it to a point that's like and romanticize does seem like the wrong word because it's not like these are like happy movies obviously they're very tragic but i think he has a very weird perspective on them that is like like is more romanticizing in my brain than anything else in terms of how he like talks about mental illness and how like you should give yourself over to it and i also think he thinks that mental illness is an excuse for bad behavior and i don't think that oh it is oh Boy, I just oh want to boy. clarify that, especially with this movie. Um, I don't think mental illness is like an excuse for bad behavior because at a point your bad behavior is just you. Um, and I've noticed that a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, people acting out and then uh, blaming it on mental illness and... I don't think that's how that works. No, you, you having a men, I, I've had so many people in my life like this, where it's like, I understand you have a mental illness, and like I get that there are some things that like we need to like kind of do to make sure you're comfortable, but it's not an excuse for you to be an absolute piece of shit to everybody around you. Like a mental illness is not an excuse to be abusive. Exactly, and like I'll take myself for example. Earlier, I said. When I get really depressed, I sometimes get, like, really, like, mean and bitter. Um, that's not fucking okay. <laughs> that's why I yeah. need help. Because, yep. And I've had to talk to people, and I'm like, that was fucked up. I'm sorry. I saw myself saying it. I heard myself say it. It wasn't okay in the moment. It's not okay now. Like, um, in, like, some circumstances, I've talked to my therapist about this. Like, um, I think everybody has the ability, not the ability the capacity, I guess, to be the toxic person in a situation. Mm -hmm. And like, um, 
there have been times I've been a toxic person because like what the fuck why did I say that and it's like I know it, it like in the moment I knew it was wrong but I still did it anyway you know and that's not okay yep but that's why that helped and, like, I've been in that position, like, even with my partner, where, like, I project my anger with myself and my depression onto him and would start arguments and realize, and, like, a lot of, I've done, gotten a lot of help for the past couple of years to realize that, like, I was projecting my shit onto somebody else and, like, using him as a target for the anger that came with my depression. And, like, it was a very toxic thing. And we have done a lot of working on that. And, I, again, like, I myself have experienced this. So, like... <laughs> We're not perfect. We and we know this not just because we have friends like this, but we are we ourselves have been that person. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying that makes us toxic people. I think just because you do something that is toxic, that doesn't necessarily make exactly. you a, an overall toxic person. Exactly. Like you're as long experiencing as you get help and you exactly. acknowledge what you did. Exactly. Guys, acknowledging things is so important. And also, don't be mad at people when you acknowledge it and they're still upset with you. Like, let people process. Anyway, that not related to this movie, but just, like, if someone is still mad at you with something you did and you apologize, let them, you can still let them process it and let them feel their feelings. And, like, sometimes you just fuck up. Absolutely. <laughs> right, Von Trier? No. <laughs> uh, what the fuck were we talking about again? Um... <laughs> I don't know this melancholy. Yeah, just melancholia. Am I right? What a name! I mean, I like, love that name, not for a planet, but I love it for. A I love the name. It's such a good name. It's and again, like this movie is so obvious. Like you, it's not really trying to veil anything, but he's not like the whole thing is meant to be so incredibly, like on the nose. But I respect that in a way, because like there is, I don't feel like he's at all trying to hide anything about what this movie is about. Which, respect, he really makes a movie about depression and goes, like, this isn't some, like, this is an artsy movie about depression, but it's not going to be, like, hiding it under, like, layers of shit. We're just going to show you, like, the fucked up realities of depression and then make it an apocalypse movie, which is, I also was, like, really into that because a lot of, like, apocalyptic movies, it's, like, scientists trying to figure out how to save the day. (laughs) And this one, it's literally just people, like dealing with it in the it's face the of a disaster yeah. it's the reality um the wealth part is fascinating to me because like it's these people living on this massive estate and they're all just like languishing around with their anxiety and i'm like what's going on with like the people who are normal because <laughs> like yeah i thought about that too well and i there's also this whole thing of like being rich can't save you because john like comes back he has all these supplies and it's like he he's prepping in case something happens and it's like there's something going on here with, like, oh, well, the not even, like, wealth can protect you and keep you safe. But at the same time, like, the abject wealth in this and, like, the horseback riding and the golf course, it was, like, quasi-nauseating of just, like, this just in-your-face wealth of the whole thing. I will say, in the parts where Justine was riding the horse and she started kicking the horse, I was like, I'm about to fucking kick you. <laughs> Wait, that brings up something else I wanted to bring up because so the horse, her horse Abraham, will not cross this bridge at one like a couple points. Von Trier has a thing with these little bridges because that was also an Antichrist where she couldn't, Charlotte Gainsbourg's character couldn't cross the bridge, 
And she finally did. And there's this weird thing with him with imagery of bridges. And in Dancer on the Dark, there also is, like, these moments mm-hmm. where they're standing on the bridge. And so there's these, like, obviously bridges are, like, these, like, transitional places and, like, these links between two pl- two things and very symbolic. But it's just very interesting to see his use of bridges across his films, especially between Antichrist and Melancholia in relatively similar ways in terms of, like, not being able to cross this kind of connection between two worlds. Yeah. Um, I noticed that, too. But it's, like, for me, I couldn't... I can't figure out, like, what the bridge is a metaphor for. I guess he's just... In this, it almost seemed like it was just, like, I can't get myself to this place. I'm trying, I'm trying. She, like, loves that horse. You see her return to the horse several times to take care of it. Um, she even, like, when she first gets to the castle, she visits the horse with Michael and is like, this is my husband now. Like, <laughs> you know, um, you know, in it, I guess, breaking up with the horse. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. And like, it also, like, it's, it's also kind of this whole, like, It's like that bridge marks going, like you're saying, like going into like the village and the real world and kind of shattering this bubble that they yes. have in their like wealthy bubble. And her, like you're saying, leaving that bubble would make her confront reality. It also is a lot to do with like depression and not wanting to go certain places. But to me, it also was like a warning in a way. Like his mm. weird erratic behavior was a warning of like, it's like a stay in your bubble thing. Like, stay where you're comfortable. Don't go out there. Which is interesting. And that also could be a stretch, but, like, I don't know. It felt also, like, that kind of thing. Like, so stay where you are, where you feel protected. And, like, just stay in this space. I don't think it's a stretch because I think that a lot of depressed people don't get help because they're used to being depressed. And, like, working on that is uncomfortable. And um, getting help is uncomfortable. And, like, realizing that you did some fucked up shit when you were not in your right mind, that's uncomfortable, too. So it's often just easier for people not to not to do anything about it. Yep. Even though it's still hellish. It's like, um, at least it's a hell they understand and are used to. Y'all, Instead depression of... brain is a whole other level of bullshit. Like, it's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the bridge could be lots of things, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> what if it was just worse on the other side? Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're going into another, like, another sphere of people that you don't know and situations that aren't in your control. Like, you, it's not a controlled setting because the castle... At least it's a kind of a controlled setting. Right. And also, like, um, probably life is much harder for not rich people in the village, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, like, so inter... I mean, we talked about this a little bit about it being very much, like, look, even rich people can be depressed. Like, yeah. And then you just see the reality of her, like, not getting any help. And that was frustrating to me at points not the point of the movie, but I was like, you're so rich. You could get so much help. <laughs> and I think like the, the point is like, just, you know, money doesn't cure you and all that stuff. But I did definitely have that thought a couple times where I was like, God damn it. You have access to so many resources. 
Yeah, it is really hard to keep that. Um, I don't know if it's a judgment, but whatever. Like it the is perspective, at least, like under, like realizing that. Yeah. So sociological status, not socioeconomic status, doesn't protect doesn't always protect you. It certainly can help help you quite a bit, but it doesn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily protect you from. Yeah. Yeah, I personally think if somebody dropped like $5,000 on my lap, a lot of my anxiety and depression might go away for a little while. So so it is hard sometimes as like a, like a poor depressed person to see <laughs> stuff like that. And be like, oh, God damn it. Come on. But it that is I a judgment. Con- I want to go convalesce in the countryside of your 18-hole golf course. <laughs> exactly yeah but again that is a judgment and it's like it really doesn't matter like depression is depression it doesn't care who you are that's just us being bitter about being poor yeah (laughs) yeah well everyone thank you for listening to our episode about melancholia a much more uh calm experience from my perspective (laughs) and look i can I contain multitudes and that I can really appreciate this movie from him. I think this is an incredibly well done depiction of depression with this use of apocalyptic background. It's an impressive film. And so if you are not a Von Trier fan, this is still a movie I think you should check out. Um, He course corrects a lot of stuff from Antichrist, I think. It's much less like anti-woman. Thank God. Um, I couldn't remember when I first started watching. I was like, I don't think this is as egregious as Antichrist. I was correct. Um, but, uh, we are really pivoting from, um, pivoting to, uh, egregiousness with our next film that we're talking about by him. Possibly back to the woman hating that remains yes! to be seen. <laughs> what movie are we talking about next time, Dex? Uh, The House That Jack Built from 2018. I absolutely detest this movie. So we're going to be back to Mary Beth being angry. Okay, um, I like this movie, so. Okay, this will be very interesting. I haven't seen it since 2018. I saw it in theaters, and I absolutely hated it. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, I am actually kind of excited to revisit it because I had such a visceral reaction to when I first saw it. And so I think I'm excited to go back and kind of revisit it and see how I feel. I probably will feel the same way, but once again, might have a bit more perspective behind why I feel the way I do. Especially since we just spent like a month going through some of his other movies. Yeah. Yeah. Give us each some uh, different perspective. Cause I have only seen this once also. So I'm curious to see if I still really like it, especially with our, um, I guess our study of his films the last month. Yeah, it'll be very in- it'll be an interesting culmination in everything that we've been talking about with him. I feel like this is like kind of his like culmination work is the house that Jack built in a lot of ways. Yes. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this existing within like the giant frame of his own oeuvre. So, <laughs> oeuvre. and my my um, woman cross Wednesday is in this um, Riley Keough. Oh my god, I know, she's so good, but she gets treated like shit in this movie, but that's fine. She does get treated like shit. But yeah, everyone, thanks for listening to us talk about depression. Um, We'll put some resources, I think, in um, 
the notes just you know if you're dealing with depression and things like that you know if you're someone you want to talk to because i know there isn't like a lot of depiction of self-harm or suicide in this but you know if you need help we can give you some maybe some resources um but yeah this is watch once never again i don't think i'll ever watch this again i love it and i don't ever want to watch it again um <laughs> so i probably will watch it again yeah i found I, it weirdly comforting yeah that's fair it is weirdly comforting um but so everybody make sure to follow us on twitter at wona podcast and if you have a suggestion for movies we should cover a director a theme you can send us an email or a dm us on twitter our email is wona podcast at gmail.com you can also follow the two of us on twitter i am at mb mcandrews and i'm at daxi bobbin so thanks again everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week bye bye Thank you.